0: We are back with part two of my conversation with Gina Dixon, the grief support services program manager at Essentia Health. If you missed the first part of our conversation, go listen to season two, episode one of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health, and then circle back to this one. But Gina, let's hop right back in. You've helped so many people over the years, but because this is the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast, can you tell me a success story you've had where a woman has overcome something and you've got to witness just like an incredible transformation from start to finish?
1: Yeah, I want to say that uh, confidentiality is such an important part of both support groups and and grief counseling. And so this story that I'm sharing um, is, uh, well, I have two stories uh, from women that have given me permission to share their stories because uh, they want women and grieving people to have hope. And one woman story, Sue, came in for grief counseling after the loss of her adult son and, uh, absolutely heartbroken. You know, our children should not die before us. And this was very uh, a very difficult illness. And it was unspeakable in the beginning. And at first, when she came in, all she could do uh, was cry. And over time, she was able to work with some of the, the stigma of the loss uh, associated with some um, addiction and mental health uh, within her family. And eventually was able to uh, accept my encouragement to participate in the um, parent uh, grief group, and then attended that for many years and found that so helpful. And and would share, you know, this this really has this has saved my life. And when the facilitator of that group was preparing to retire, uh, she invited Sue to go through our facilitator training and consider. Um, stepping into that volunteer role um, and helping others. And had you asked Sue um, if she would be somebody who was able to share her story and able uh, to lead a group uh, when her loss first happened, she would have said absolutely not. And and it wasn't that those things were easy uh, after her son died. Her uh, son's uh, wife died shortly after leaving her grandchild without uh, a parent, and uh, later her husband died, and um, there were other losses as along the way. But those tools that she had for helping her sleep better at night and those social connections that she had of people that cared about her uh, made the difference in the long haul, even when hard things kept happening. Happening, and uh, I think that's that's so important for people to have hope. As you say, that um, hope doesn't mean uh, believing that nothing bad is ever going to happen again. Hope means that we have a sense of courage that we don't have to face these difficult things alone. And um, another story that comes to mind is uh, a nurse who I have really admired along the way. Part of my role at Essentia is to provide staff support when difficult things happen, um, when patients die, when co-workers die. And uh, there's a nurse who, in the midst of COVID, was providing support Um, as a leader to teams where a lot of patients were dying in the beginning of COVID. We didn't have a lot of knowledge. We didn't have a vaccine. We didn't have an understanding of how to um, protect ourselves uh, and um, help those who were impacted. And this nurse had come in um, because um, she was dealing with um, all of those layers of loss, all of those patients dying day after day, as well as that was stirring up uh, her own loss experience of having uh, loved ones who had died Uh, by suicide and loved ones who have died in a car accident, just layers and layers of trauma. Uh, Later, a friend died by suicide over the course of of several years. There were many layers of loss. And yet I so admire um, this nurse because she was really, what's the word that I want to use, a trailblazer in going back to her unit and sharing with people, you know, I've, I've been and I've been doing some grief work and it's really making a difference. And I encourage you to do it, you know, working past that stigma of kind of, um, well, this is just, you know, our job or this is what we're here to do. And she had said in the beginning when she came in, I don't know if I can keep doing this work. This is so hard, you know, carrying my own grief and and seeing all this loss day after day. And over the course of several years, she has just really been a Source of encouragement and strength for so many patients and um, other healthcare professionals on her her unit. So I think that's really important as we're having this conversation about um, grieving people. That that's you and I too. It's also um, the healthcare providers and and others that are on the front line. So I'm so thankful that you asked that question.
0: Thank you for sharing those stories. I feel inspired after hearing that. I know that our listeners are going to as well. Let's shift gears now and talk about grief and other aspects of a woman's life like relationships, motherhood, career. How do you approach those intersections when women have so much going on in their life and then they're also grieving?
1: It's important to meet people where they're at. So part of grief counseling is that together we create goals of if this was um, everything that you hoped grief counseling could be, what would be different in your life? And so while there may be many, many hopes that a person has or many, many ways that their grief is impacting, I think starting with a handful of things that Maybe it's sleeping better or managing panic attacks or being able to tell my story, whatever someone's hope is to build on that over time, because that's a piece that's so overwhelming with grief. Like you say that um, we still, you know, people after they've been meeting with me go on to work or go pick their kids up from school. So I think goal setting can be part of that manageability and just being really gentle with yourself of knowing that you don't have the normal resources that you had before this event happened before you started having to relearn your world without the person alive in it anymore. And being able to, you know, focus on those different areas a little bit at a time and realizing that, you know, that cognitive fog of having a hard time thinking or remembering is part of the grief experience. And that lasts a while. You know, we talk about grief coming in waves. But that first wave of shock, really, for most people, that's not the hardest part. That kind of numbness carries them through. uh, And down the road, feeling more, more angry and, you know, whatever else. So having some tools to to safely express that that anger in safe ways so it's not coming out sideways at work or it's not coming out sideways with our kids or our dog or, you know, however, grief can come out sideways if it doesn't have a, a voice and a safe space to, to feel those things.
0: Yeah, I've lost somebody unexpectedly and you're right, like the hardest part was not the shock. It was like a year later when you've readjusted to life kind of and you're like, hey, what do I do now, you know, so I would agree with that. We kind of talked about this a little bit. Aside from saying, you know, I'm thinking of you maybe on the anniversary of somebody's loss, what are some meaningful things that we can say to somebody who's grieving? Because it is such a touchy thing. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to say something maybe that would trigger somebody. What are some like appropriate things that you could say to someone grieving?
1: Yeah. So well, let's start with things not to say. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a good one. That was my next question because okay. I'm always worried about saying the wrong thing. So then maybe at at times, I won't say anything because right. I don't want to, you don't want to trigger somebody or hurt somebody that's already in pain.
1: Right. So we don't want to say Anything that is dismissive, Uh, we don't want to say, I know just how you feel, because even if I'm supporting someone who's also experienced the death of a parent to suicide, who has also experienced miscarriage or the death of a sibling to addiction or, you know, any of the other losses that I've experienced, I still don't know their loss. And so when we make it about us, um, that, that diminishes the unique love and relationship and the unique hardships that they have in grieving that, well, you know, these sort of sentiments or platitudes are well-intentioned, anything that's trying to take somebody's grief away or make it better is going to fall flat. And so avoiding, you know, God has a plan that the grieving person may be, believe that. And if that's comforting for them, that's great, but we don't want to impose our beliefs on other people. So we want to avoid anything that imposes our values or our beliefs, um, or minimizes. We, I'm trying to think of other things that that people say uh, anything like you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel guilty, you shouldn't feel angry, um, you need to move on, it's time that you're happy again. We don't want to, again, impose timelines or expectations on the grieving person, because we're uncomfortable with their grief, right? That's mm-hmm. that's never helpful. And so it is better to show up and say very little and listen rather than anything that we think is going to make it better, right? I think that's a different way of, of showing up with humility. Um, better to say, I love you. I care about you. This sucks. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whatever your language is that is genuine and honest and, um, and patient and kind.
0: What about saying like, it's going to be okay. It'll just take time. Like, would that be in the, let's not say that category? Yeah, that's a tricky one. That's kind of in that shade of, of gray because
1: in that moment, when someone's just found out something's terrible has happened, telling them it's going to be okay may cause someone to feel really angry with you. Like in that moment, they might feel like I can't imagine ever feeling okay this worst thing my child has has died and life will never be okay again we can we can hold on to that belief ourselves um uh, uh, personally i think it's better to say i'm here for you as long as it takes rather than assuring something that they may not be able to even think in that beginning
0: does that does that make sense yeah that makes sense like opt on the side of maybe not what about um something i hear all the time and i've even said to people is like, he or she, whoever passed, wouldn't want you to feel like this. That's probably something you shouldn't say because that's kind of imparting your beliefs.
1: Right. That's a, that's a great example. So back to that, not to say um, you shouldn't feel guilty um, or you shouldn't feel sad. They wouldn't want you to feel sad, right? Um, saying that has never taken somebody's guilt or sadness away. It just causes them to feel like you're not a safe person to talk about their guilt. Or sadness with, right? Right. Um, And again, it's good intention. Like we want someone to feel better, we want um, them to have hope. Really, what it is, is it's denying their reality. And so better to say, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. It's natural to feel guilty. And I saw how beautifully you cared for your mother, or it's natural to feel guilty when someone dies by suicide. And, you know, there are people that can support you in that and, you know, help you work through over time, whether that's a support group or... So I'd say meeting people where they're at, you know, all those feelings are natural and normal, um, would be a better way to go than to try to deny or dismiss because we're uncomfortable with their their sadness or their guilt or their anger.
0: Yeah, less is more. Less is more. Final two questions here. Aside from being there for people, letting them know that you're a safe person to talk to, what are some other easy ways that we can console somebody? who's grieving and you touched on you know bring them dinner see what they need if they have kids try to help out Um, what are a few other ways that maybe we can help somebody who's grieving
1: yeah yeah I think that that acknowledgement that it isn't easy. It isn't easy to support someone. Uh, our culture does not <laughs> uh, embrace the idea of ongoing grief. We, we tend to have this idea of get better quick. And I think that anything that we can do to get more comfortable with our own discomfort uh, is really important. And there are some great books out there too. Some people um, really appreciate um, reading something that gives them hope. I was just uh, reading a, a new book out uh, called The Grieving Brain. Uh, that isn't a book for everybody. It's written by a, a neurobiologist and it, it talks about the, uh, what's the word that I'm going for here? The science of grieving and understanding attachment and why grief causes us to feel so crazy when really grief is just about learning and learning. And so if we want to help others, we can maybe expand our own understanding of what grief is and isn't, and sometimes you know, purchasing somebody a book or the other practical ways of, of bringing a casserole and stopping by. Um, and it, they may be short visits at first because again, people may not have the energy to engage socially, but keep connecting, keep saying we care, um, being gentle and patient would be the the biggest takeaways.
0: Yeah, so I wanna end by asking a question to you um, because you are the grief support services program manager at Essentia Health. I'm just wondering through all these things you're telling me like, How do you not let all of these stories... Like get you? Because just the two stories you told me, I feel like I want to cry. I feel like defeated and hurting for those people. How do you make sure that you are taking care of yourself? Yeah. Sometimes um, I do
1: express my own human responses when I'm with people. So there are certainly times, whether it's been within a support group or supporting someone one-on-one, where my eyes do get dewy and I do feel that empathy and that sadness. And I think that's part of what has allowed me to continue to do this work is not to accumulate that, but that practice of mindfulness of just noticing when I'm, when I'm feeling a feeling. And sometimes I might be feeling scared, you know, I've raised three beautiful children and I've been, you know, working throughout that time. And so, uh, (laughs) one of the nicknames, uh, that I got over the years was OSHA mom, uh, because in any given situation, (laughs) I would be, there making sure kids had life jackets on or helmets or, you know, whatever other kind of safety equipment that might uh, mitigate disaster. And so for me, having a sense of humor at times when I recognize that, um, that vicarious trauma, these, uh, tragic stories that I am Privilege to journey with people um, can also affect my worldview that I hear and know things that maybe other people, that's just not part of their awareness that, you know, bad things can happen to good people. And um, part of my role is to help train, you know, the next generation of brief therapist and support group facilitators. And so a lot of what we talk about is mindfulness and being aware of how our own stories do intersect with the stories that we're hearing and how do we take care of ourselves. There have been periods of time um, when I have received therapy myself. Um, my uncle died by homicide and I needed to do some trauma work around that and just manage my 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 own human reactions, physical reactions, not sleeping and um, having, you know, flashbacks and those kind of things in addition to the the sadness and everything that, that goes along with grief. So practicing what we preach. I really look to have a gratitude practice. You know, I try every day to to focus on something that I'm thankful for. And I get out and walk my dogs and play with my granddaughter and uh, try to embrace the fullness of life, which certainly includes grief and loss. But it is not all of who I am. And, and I think that, you know, back to putting our oxygen masks on first to, to really pause and take time to address our own needs. Um, and there are times when I do show up crispy and cranky and someone points that out to me. And so, you know, owning that um, when we're not... Um, Taking responsibility for um, the things that we have within our control. I, I was in a therapy session with someone the other day uh, that had heard some very bad news that the person that had uh, murdered their loved one was going to be eligible for parole. And in the shock in the midst of that, it happened at a time um, when she just couldn't pick up the call phone and call me. And she said, I thought, what would Gina say right now? And she said, all right, I can take a breath and focus. What do I have control over? And I really practice that in, in my own life of when things are are scary or hard, I can take a breath and you know focus on what little piece of the puzzle do I have control over right now?
0: Yeah, those are some great tips I'm definitely going to hold on to uh, moving forward. But Gina Dixon, the Grief Support Services Program Manager at Essentia Health, I cannot thank you enough for being my guest on not just one episode of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast, but two episodes. I also want to mention, if you want more information regarding no-cost grief support groups and other grief resources offered at Essentia Health, you can call 218-390-9777. You can email griefcenter at essentiahealth.org, or you can visit essentiahealth.org. Thank you for listening to season two, episode two of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health.